Welcome to How to Trade It, The Road to Trading Mastery. Join Casey Stubbs, a seasoned trader, as he guides you to become a profitable trader. Find actionable insights, real-life stories, and strategies to boost your trading skills. Don't miss the journey to trading victory. Start listening now. Connect with us at podcast at tradingstrategyguides.com. Trading profits are just an episode away. This is the Finance and Markets Cashflow Hacking Podcast, streaming to you live, teaching the methods behind unlocking long-term wealth. Your host, Casey Stubbs. Hello, this is Casey Stubbs from Cashflow Hacking Podcast with Finance and Markets. And today we're here with Eric Jansen from Aspen Cross Wealth Management, a registered wealth management uh, company. Uh, thank you for the show, Eric. Well, thanks for the invite, Casey, and I look forward to uh, chatting with you and, and your audience today. Excellent. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. And so I've uh, been in the financial uh, services industry, the financial advice industry, I guess, for a little over 30 years now. Uh, spent most of that time uh, in the investment management side of things, helping clients build and, and manage portfolios. And just recently, uh, our firm became a registered investment advisor. And we've been spending more and more time answering clients' questions about, as you might expect, Bitcoin and, and other cryptocurrencies. That's pretty pretty good because a lot of the financial um, planners have not really tackled that. So it's good that you're jumping on it first or, or right away. But I did want to mention uh, during our discussion today that uh, so all of our viewers understand that this is educational um, information only and it is not to be considered investment advice. Uh, so, Eric, uh, how did you get in started with the, your interest in uh, Bitcoin? Yeah, great, great question. Uh, I guess the first thing I'll say is I wish I got interested in it far sooner than I did. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think many of us heard about Bitcoin over the years. And uh, I think like most folks, when I first heard about it early on in 2010, 11 or 12, uh, I paid very, very little attention to it. And so it really wasn't until the middle of last year when I think I read an article or something somewhere that um, kind of piqued my interest and I started to explore it, made my first uh, Bitcoin purchase in I think it was July of, of, of last year. And from that point forward, uh, I began to read everything I could possibly read about Bitcoin and blockchain. Uh, I began attending uh, a bunch of conventions uh, and, and really just trying to pick people's brains on what the heck is this thing and, you know, why should I care? And so as you have been reading and studying, do you feel like you have a pretty good handle on uh, the cryptocurrency market right now? Well, what's interesting about the, this whole marketplace is that as the minute you think you know you know a lot about it you realize there's so much more that that you need to know but uh i think the best way to learn is as 
at least from my experience, is to really just get involved. Uh, you know, read as much as you can, talk to folks, um, and don't just listen to what you what you hear. Right. Just don't believe everything you hear. Actually, do your own research, and so you can get make a decision based on what you're actually learning. Absolutely. I think that's a really important point. Uh, now, I hear a lot about blockchain technology and how that's really important, an important part of the cryptocurrency um, element. Now, can you, do you know anything about blockchain technology? What is it? And could you explain that to the listeners? Sure. Uh, so blockchain, uh, you know, that's a, I guess a new word for, for many of us and it's the, the platform, if you will, or the software um, technology that Bitcoin is, is built upon. And so what is blockchain? And I think the best way to describe blockchain is to compare it to something maybe that we all know, right? Uh, a file sharing program or an Excel spreadsheet. And so really what, what blockchain is then is it's essentially a distributed shared ledger or spreadsheet um, that uh, anybody can view. Um, it's an internet uh, based program. Um, and so blockchain technology is used to uh, transact Bitcoin. And now it's also used for many other things that, that we can talk about uh, as well. Okay. So what makes it different than anything that like, so for example, uh, credit card processing, why, why is blockchain so interesting and why are so many companies investing in this blockchain technology? Yeah, it's a great question, right? And so if, if we, you know, say it's a shared ledger that anybody really in the world with an with a internet connection to act, can access it, um, that really doesn't explain, I guess, in, in the right way, well, what does that really have to do with, with, with Bitcoin, right? And I think the key thing there that is important to understand is that blockchain uh, also includes this cryptographic function, if you will, meaning that what really made Bitcoin Bitcoin was the ability for anyone to be able to transact, uh, make a transaction with anybody else in the world without any, you know, trusted intermediary. And how that really is possible is by adding these cryptographic features, if you will, um, securing the data that is within the blockchain. And so that is really what makes blockchain so unique is that for the first time ever, you can have this trustless network where you can engage in transactions and uh, other uses uh, for, for storing data without having to use that central intermediary. And, and that's all done through cryptography. Okay. Now, I'm... I like that idea of like a person to person payment without an intermediary. However, I do some Bitcoin stuff myself. I still have to have that intermediary. Like I have my, my Coinbase account, which is like a wallet. Um, so there's, I'm still dependent on an intermediary, right? Well, I think what you're describing there is how you're holding your uh, Bitcoin, if you will. Right. And so your, your, uh, your Bitcoin itself. So if you have Bitcoin, Bitcoin's actually not, even that, it's not actually held at Coinbase or any of the other exchanges. Uh, it, it's, it's kind of a confusing you know, misnomer, and maybe I'll spend a minute on that, and then we can go back to the original question that when you have a wallet, right? People talk about having a, a Bitcoin wallet on Coinbase or, or another exchange. 
the only thing that's really in that wallet is a you know series of, of characters right that identify you know your um i guess in a sense it's like a password that you have right and that password um or key is your way that you can prove that you have a certain amount of bitcoin on that ledger right and so the ledger itself if you think about what a ledger is it's just a a database where you record uh, who owns what. And so inside that wallet is just the key that unlocks your your cell on that ledger, if you will, that uh, contains your, um, your Bitcoin, right? Um, and so, you know, I think that's one of the, the most important things for, for folks to understand. We can talk about security a, l- a little bit later on. Um, Hello, this is Casey, and I wanted to take a minute to tell you about my new book that just came out. It's called Complete Trading System. This is my 25 years of trading experience, sharing everything that I have learned in how to make a profit from the markets. You're going to learn about how to find the right instruments to trade, how to find a trend, how to get started as beginners. You're going to learn about how to get the right mindset and you're going to be able to put it all together to create a trading system of your own that will work for you. I highly recommend that you try it out. Just click the link right now. It's called Complete Trading System. It's available on Amazon. Thank you. Go ahead and check it out. I think you're going to love it. Okay, so how does the actual transaction take place? Yeah, so 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 what Coinbase then and and exchanges like that, that's really uh, you know you saying, hey, look, I don't want to hold my private key, which is like a password, because I'm afraid I might lose it, and if I lose it, you in fact do lose your your Bitcoin, and so Coinbase and exchanges like Coinbase will hold those keys for you. Um, However, you can also hold your own keys. But irregardless, when you are sending a Bitcoin, if you will, to somebody else, use it as an example, um, that sending of that Bitcoin does not really require an intermediary. You're simply making a, a notification, if you will, right? If I hit send on my Coinbase app, then I'm really notifying the blockchain that I would like to send X amount of Bitcoins to somebody else. And when that happens, that's when this whole concept of mining starts to occur, right? Where the computers who are on the Bitcoin network who have agreed to perform this function will now make sure that I actually have those coins that I want to send or a portion of a coin and confirm that it's a valid um, address that I'm sending it to. And so in the end, there really is no intermediary when I'm transacting. Uh, it's really all done by those miners who are uh, participating in that in that effort. So it's not Coinbase; okay. it's the miners. Now, Coinbase does have a way to tie into the blockchain, though. Like, so there has to be some kind of access to this 
blockchain networks at some some level. Yeah, sure. I, I guess the best way to look at it is that you're just using their nice, uh, you know, looking, you know, front entrance, if you will, right, to this maybe not so pleasant looking blockchain, right, right? which is just a, a bunch of code. And so Coinbase is really just a door that you're walking through to get onto that blockchain. But okay. it doesn't change the fact that um, there's no really intermediary there. So anyone can access the blockchain if they can figure out how to access it, if they could code a, a doorway or something like that. That's right. The, the, anybody could download the entire Bitcoin blockchain uh, at any time. And so if you wanted to, to download it and, and just peer into it, you can. If you wanted to download it and become a miner, right, you certainly have the right to do that. The other key feature of it is what's they call, it's what they call open source. And so anybody can build on top of the, the Bitcoin blockchain. And that's perhaps we'll touch on this a little later on, why there's so many other coins today. Okay. I think that that helps me uh, understand a little bit more. I mean, I'm not totally unfamiliar with it. It's still a pretty intense topic. And I think that it is intimidating for a lot of people because there's so many things that they don't understand about how it works. And even when you explain it, it still can be a little bit of a mystery, I think. I agree. It takes uh, a lot of... Uh... A lot of effort to, to wrap your brain around it. I want to ask you a couple questions later on about, uh, you know, how you're helping your clients with cryptocurrency. But before I do that, I want to just hit a few more uh, maybe foundational Bitcoin questions just to try to help the listeners get a little more foundation. Uh, you were discussing mining uh, for Bitcoin. What is mining and how does that work and who does it? Yeah, that, that's a great question. And, and I think the terminology mining is probably the worst possible, you know, word to describe what's physically happening. Uh, I guess Bitcoin itself is probably not the best word either to describe the digital uh, currency because there, there is no coin, right, in, in Bitcoin. Right. It's, it's just a ledger entry. And so mining itself is, I think the best way to look at it is it's really serving two functions, right? The primary function of, of a miner and a miner is nothing more than an individual or a group of individuals, if we're talking about a mining pool, that have decided to download the, the Bitcoin blockchain and to uh, confirm transactions that are taking place on that blockchain in return for potential rewards in the form of transaction fees and Bitcoin. And so what do they physically do? So when we uh, enter a transaction, so if I want to buy or sell or, or, or transact in any way with Bitcoin that I have or that I'd like to have, then I will submit a request, if you will, uh, to the blockchain network, right? And once that uh, request hits the network, which is nothing more than me, you know, think of an email, right? And so if I want to type an email to somebody and I put their address in there and I hit send, I've, in a sense, just broadcasted that to the person I'm sending it to. And now that email is going to go through a series of steps before it ends up in the desired location. And that's really what, what miners, in a sense, are doing is they're now saying, all right, is that transaction that's just been broadcast to our network, 
Um, first off, does Eric actually have those coins that he wants to transact with, right? Assuming I'm sending or paying somebody with those coins. And how they confirm whether in fact I have that transaction or not, this is the cryptography now, is that when I submit that request, again, this is all done, you know, the minute I hit the, the send button, if you will, or the pay button, then it's going to broadcast a, uh, for lack of a better word, a code. And that code is unique to that particular transaction. And it's a public key in a sense that, that is, is being transacted that I signed through my private key that only I know. And all, all signing means is I hit the send button, right? And so all these uh, miners now who are scattered throughout the world, their computer systems, if you will, that are connected to the, to the blockchain network are now uh, uh, making these calculations, if you will, um, to determine whether the, um, the coins that I say I have, I actually have. And every 10 minutes, um, the, the miners will uh, pull all these uh, transactions that took place in that previous 10 minutes. And they'll attempt to what they call find a block, right? And a block is just nothing more than every transaction that took place in the last 10 minutes. And they compete to see if they can be the first one to solve, if you will, this uh, mathematical uh, algorithm. Um, and if they do, and they solve that algorithm, in a sense that now verifies all the transactions that have just taken place in that previous 10 minutes. And then that 10 minutes um, of transactions is called a block. And that block is then connected to all the previous blocks. And once that's done, then that transaction is now verified. And so the, and I'm sure that, you know, it's confusing folks even more, but <laughs> you know, uh, but the, the key to, to understanding mining is, is uh, number one, that's what makes the network trustless, right? And so I'm not going to a, a large bank making a deposit that I in turn then use that deposit to, to pay my electric bill, right? But that money is gonna feed through my bank. In Bitcoin, when you're making a transaction, there is no central authority. And so if there is no central authority, who, you, who is gonna verify all the same things that normally a bank would verify? And who verifies it are all these miners who really their job is to uh, make sure that the transactions that take place are valid. And it's, it's expensive um, because of the electricity, right, that they have to use to run the computers that are making all these calculations, if you will. And so in return, they're rewarded with, uh, if they solve the block, if they're lucky enough to be the first to uh, quote solve that block, they're rewarded with currently 12 and a half Bitcoins. And that is really how it ties together um, this whole trustless network. I see. That's a, an interesting topic that we're going to dive into here at Finance and Markets uh, in pretty good detail later on in the next month or so. We're going to really hit that. So thanks for, for sharing that. Now, one Thing that I think is really on a lot of people's minds who have not been involved in Bitcoin, especially because of the headlines, is the security of Bitcoin. Uh, there's been some pretty large 
uh, some pretty large thefts, I would say. I'm just reading uh, reading a news article about something that there was like a $70 million bit, Bitcoin theft uh, last year. Uh, and there's been even bigger ones than that. So would you say that it's more secure than a credit card or a bank or less secure? And is this something that people should really be concerned about? Yeah, that's a great question. Let me go back for one second to the, to the mining question. Uh, there was one thing I, I wanted to say that uh, I didn't uh, point out. And this to me was, a, I guess, a real uh, eye-opener. It just helped me to understand it better. And so, you know, we know that Bitcoin is digital money. There's no physical currency, right? We can't hold it. Uh, we can't really see it. Um, and the thing that always confused me is, you know, this whole concept of, well, how does it come into existence? You know, where does this, where do these Bitcoins come from? And so in, in mining, when those folks are, are verifying those transactions and when they win that block, right? We talked about a block is created roughly every 10 minutes. And whoever the miner is that, or pool of miners that in a sense won that block, right? They were the first person to solve the, the, the puzzle that allows them to do that. And we mentioned a minute ago, they're rewarded 12 and a half Bitcoins, right? Um, and that's halved every, every uh, two years. It was 50 Bitcoins and it's 25 Bitcoins and now it's 12 and a half and it'll keep halving every two years. In a sense, what's happening though, is they're not really mining. They're putting into circulation bitcoins that are already in a sense built onto that protocol right and so when when bitcoin was created they built into the software the fact that there's only going to be 21 million bitcoins all right that's it and so every 10 minutes we're putting in circulation 12 and a half new ones and i think that when i learn that, that began to clear up, at least in my head, like, all right, now I get it, right? They're, in a sense, they're not really mining. They're putting into circulation Bitcoins that already exist on the, in the software, but it's controlled release, if you will. Does that make sense? It does, yes. And there is a limit to the number that will be released, correct? That's correct. 20, 21 million in total today. There's a little less than 17 million in, in, in circulation. And the last one won't be released until I believe it's 2140. So a long time from now. So, so there was a lot more other. released on the front end. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually when, when Bitcoin first started, right. And I know we're getting off topic of your, your, your last question, but uh, so it started in 2009, right? It was, in 2008 is when the concept came out, but it really didn't, didn't uh, begin until early 2009. And when it began, there was really just two folks, this you know, notorious Satoshi Nakamoto, right, who we really don't know who this individual group of individuals uh, was that created it. But when he uh, created the Bitcoin protocol and sent the first coins, right, or created the first coins, then there was 50 that were created, right, because at that time, uh, it was 50 coins that were created every 10 minutes. Um, he sent the first transaction, if you will, to this gentleman called Hal Finney. And so there was two computers, right, that were connected uh, to the Bitcoin network. But every 10 minutes, there was another 50 Bitcoins being created. And if there's only two computers connected to the network who were both mining, if you will, right, then as you can imagine, there was a lot of Bitcoin being created 
in only going to a very small group of folks, right? But as time went on, more and more uh, individuals joined the network and it began to obviously spread out the number of folks who were getting that, that Bitcoin. Um, but it, it started with just 50 Bitcoins every 10 minutes. Okay. Well, that, that is, uh, I think, useful to know. And now I want to redirect to the security question. Yes. There's been some large hacks. Uh, is it safer than uh, banks and credit cards? And is this something that people should be concerned about? It's a, it's a great question. And I think a lot of times people confuse the security of Bitcoin with Bitcoin itself, right? And in, in here's really how to, how to take a look at that. But you're absolutely correct. There's been some uh, very large hacks of, of uh, cryptocurrencies from exchanges. The biggest one was, was Mt. Gox, right, back in 2014. Um, I think it was 450,000 Bitcoins, right, were, were, were stolen. And there's been some recent ones as recently as, as a couple of weeks ago. But that is really the it's, – it's the exchanges themselves that are being hacked into – and what we encourage our clients, if they're going to get involved in, in any form of crypto, whether it's Bitcoin, Bitcoin or uh, any other of the cryptocurrencies out there, is to not keep your coins on an exchange, right? If you keep your coins on an exchange, then those, uh, or digital assets, if you will, then those assets are subject to a hacker, right? Just like uh, anything else where there's a centralized control point that they can hack into. So if, in fact, you keep your coins, and remember, you're not really keeping a coin. You're really just keeping your, your, your key, your key, right? Yeah. Um, which key is nothing more than your, your uh, password to that entry into the ledger that says you actually own those coins. So if you keep those safe in a hardware wallet or, or even a paper wallet, then they can't be taken away from you by a hacker. So it really isn't Bitcoin that is not secure, right? It's like anything else. It's, it's whoever's holding those keys, if you ultimately decide to let them to hold it, that is exposing you potentially if they have poor security, right? Yeah, so, so really that, that hack is no different than, say, when Experian get hacked and they get everybody's credit card information. It's just a, a, a database. They see all the, the keys there. They grab them. You know, that's exactly right. And if you think about it, Bitcoin is really created, right, to be this decentralized system, right, to get away from that, right? So mm -hmm. we don't have to count on a, a, dig, a centralized entity controlling my information. And right. then the exchanges popped up, right, and in a lot of ways, and I think this is what you're hinting at, it kind of brought us back to doing the same thing, right? We, right. So a true Bitcoin enthusiast is not going to be using these exchanges. They're going to do it um, in a more pure method, and they're going to store their Bitcoin uh, in, a, in a safer way that cannot be hacked. That's right. They may still use an exchange to buy or sell, but the minute the transaction is completed, they'll, they'll pull their keys back off of there and, and back into their own um, secure wallet. So how are you helping your clients get involved in the cryptocurrency markets? Because they're absolutely crazy. I mean, they're just, they're volatile. There's been massive up moves and massive crashes. And I would think that your clients would be a little bit timid about doing that. Is this like, how, how do you approach that with your clients? Yeah, it's a great question. So th there's really three things that, that we're doing as, as, as a firm today. 
uh, one of the first things, of course, is we needed to, to train our own, um, our own staff and our own advisors about uh, Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. And one of the ways that we did that is we gave them um, a little bit of, of four cryptos. Um, and by giving them these, these, these digital currencies, they're able to begin to learn you know, what they are and, and so on and so forth. And they were pretty excited about that because they can watch the ups and downs. The second thing we did is that we also began to accept a Bitcoin as a payment method for financial plans. And the reason behind that is to really to demonstrate to folks that look, Bitcoin is a form of payment just like anything else that you can transact with. And the third thing we, we do, and this is more directly to our clients, is we really educate, right? We don't recommend uh, any particular coin. We don't talk about buying, selling, or holding. Instead, we help them to understand how Bitcoin came to an ex into existence, what are the problems that Bitcoin's trying to solve in, in the world, and what are all these other coins or tokens that have, have since been created, and how do you distinguish between them? You know, what, what makes one coin different from another? And from that, we then talk about some of the things we've been chatting about here, and that is how do you, if you were to buy or wanted to buy Bitcoin or, or any other currency, how do you do it? What's the best place to do it? Uh, what are the pros and cons of, of, of different exchanges that, that are out there? You know, what do you need to pay attention to when it comes to security, digital wallets, hardware wallets? And so we really are helping them to just understand um, just this whole concept of, of Bitcoin. And I think the most important thing there, Casey, that we share with our clients is really kind of how it's fitting into this um, massive change that's taking place worldwide right now, right? A lot of people are calling it the fourth industrial revolution, right? It's kind of the digitization of, of everything. And if you really think about it, uh, Bitcoin came about kind of right at, right at the, the time where we had the financial crisis and, and kind of the you know, the fear of, of, of these giant institutions who are centralized locations for, you know, our money and, and so on and so forth. And, you know, Bitcoin being a decentralized network um, was probably came out at the exact time that, that people were ready to begin to think about having a more control over, the, over their own, uh, you know, money, right? Peer-to-peer peer -peer money. And, and I think that's really what we help them to understand. I see. And so where should, uh, where should listeners go to learn more about Bitcoin? Yeah, there's uh, quite a few places, uh, as I'm sure you can expect, particularly on the internet, right? Um, but I'll, I'll, uh, I'll give you a few that, that we follow and that we tell our clients to follow in terms of websites. Uh, a couple of good sites you can go to is Why Bitcoin, and it's the letter YBitcoin.com. Coindesk.com is, is another great site with a lot of information. Uh, in terms of, of uh, you know, books, uh, the first book I read on, on the topic was The Internet of Money. Um, there's two volumes now. I read volume one uh, by Andreas Antonopoulos, and he's uh, uh, just a fantastic speaker, and, and he's been around for a long time talking about Bitcoin and blockchain. The other one's Digital Gold. If you want to get a history of, of kind of Bitcoin from its inception, and all the folks that were involved in its creation, uh, Digital Gold by Nathaniel Popper is a great book to read. Um, if you're a, a Twitter person, uh, folks that I follow, and, and I follow quite a few, but some of the big ones, again, follow 
uh, Andreas Antonopoulos, the, the gentleman that wrote the, the book I just mentioned, uh, Vitalik uh, Buterin, uh, he's the Ethereum founder, Char Charlie Lee, uh, he's Litecoin, CoinGecko is a website you can follow, as well as a good website to go to to learn more about not only cryptocurrencies, but the different types of currencies that are out there. Those are some, some places that I would probably start. Well, that's some, some good research. So uh, why do they call all of these coins a cryptocurrency? What, what is the meaning behind that? Yeah, sure. And so, you know, a lot of folks, um, I guess, think Bitcoin, as I did, is kind of that first cryptocurrency. But in reality, uh, there were coins that were being created back in the 90s. And the, the, the whole thought behind creating cryptocurrencies, right, really started with these, you know, group of programmers, right? They call them cypherpunks, right? And these are kind of a crazy name, but these were um, individuals who were uh, uh, programmers who really wanted to uh, find a way to add more privacy to the transactions that were taking place, right? So here we are, we're getting much more digitized in the world. Um, you know, a lot more um, of our data was being exposed, right? The great thing about the internet is we can, you know, we can do a lot of things now we were never able to do before. The bad thing about the internet is that um, so many people know everything about us, right? Think about what just happened with Facebook, right? And, and kind of uh, what, what, what is going on there relative to the sharing of our personal information. And so these cryptographers, if you will, were trying to figure out a way that we can spend our money without people knowing, A, what I'm buying, who I bought it from, and to, to bring back some privacies that we used to have. And so they experimented with these various forms of digital assets over the years. This is from 1990, you know, through what we you know, now know as Bitcoin in 2009 with this whole concept of cryptography, which is being able to transact, use your money without having an intermediary to store your personal data and, you know, having us have to trust that individual to, to not only protect our data, but to not share that data. So really the, the word cryptocurrency came about through how the blockchain, which is now what we're using, is secured. And so cryptography is a fancy word for, um, you know, coding, if you will, right? It, it's, a, it's a code that they put on your transaction. This is your private and public keys that we talked about earlier that only you know, right? And this is the private key. And that's what makes it cryptographically secure. Well, that is a pretty interesting explanation. I don't think I would have really been able to figure that out. Just so I'm, I'm glad that, uh, that you were able to explain it to, to us. Uh, Eric, I want to thank you so much uh, for being on the show. Uh, this is Eric Jansen from Aspen Cross Wealth Management. Uh, Eric, can you just tell the listeners how they can get in touch with you if they're interested in, in uh, any of your services? Sure. I think the best way to do that is to visit our website at www.aspencross.com. All right. And uh, we'll be posting that link below this episode. So if you're listening or viewing this on YouTube or seeing it on our website, you can uh, just click that link and find uh, 
Aspen Cross Wealth Management. All right. Thank you again, Eric. Thanks a lot, Casey. Appreciate the time. You've been listening to the Finance the Markets Cash Flow Hacking Podcast. To get all the best financial growth strategies, visit financeandmarkets.com and claim your wealth report strategy. Thanks for tuning in to another insightful episode of How to Trade It with Casey Stubbs. We hope you found today's discussion valuable and inspiring. Remember, the road to trading mastery is a continuous one, and your commitment to learning and growing as a trader is the key to your success. If you have any questions, comments, or topics you'd like us to cover in future episodes, please reach out to us at podcast at tradingstrategyguides.com. Keep listening, keep learning, and keep trading your way to victory. Until next time.